Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahirrabbilalamin. Wa sallallahu wa baraka al-ashrafu al-anbiya wal-mursaleen. Nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Amma ba'd. Alhamdulillah. This jansa is sitting here is the first of what we intend, inshallah, to be a series of lessons going through the explanation of Umdut al-Ahkam by Abdul Ghani al-Maqdisi, and specifically, yani Kitab al-Tahara, specifically Kitab al-Tahara. And Umdut al-Ahkam should not be confused with the other book, which we're going through, the ones we're going through on Mondays, which is Umdat al-Fiqh. You have Umdat al-Hakam, you have Umdat al-Fiqh. Umdat al-Fiqh, for those that attend are well aware that this is by Ibn Qudama. Ibn al-Fiqh by Ibn Qudama al-Maqdisi. And Umdat al-Fiqh, Ibn Qudama, he goes through brief yeah, sentences and brief ibarat, brief phrases in relation to yeah, specific ahkam pertaining to different affairs in the deen, different affairs in fiqh. And he may mention some adillah here and there, he may mention an, an ayah, or he may mention a hadith, and he may mention the proof here and there. But mainly in the fiqh is that he lays out yeah, the ahkam in fiqh and this book is in accordance with the madhab of Imam Ahmed, the Hanbali madhab. And so, as we mentioned with Umdut al-Fiqh as well, this is a yani, maqaddimah, an introduction for the one that is seeking to study yani, the fiqh of the madhab of Imam Ahmed. And it's a good starting point for that individual that wishes to do so. So that's Umdut al-Fiqh. As for the book that we are going through in these sittings, then this is Umdatul Ahkam. Umdatul Ahkam is essentially a book of hadith. Umdatul Ahkam is a book of hadith. And it could even be regarded as well as being from the type of book which is referred to as the Sunan. A book which is regarded as being from the Sunan is a book in hadith that is ordered in accordance with, يعني, or the abwab, the chapters are in order of ahkam. The chapters are in order of يعني, the rulings. So you have Kitab al-Tahara, Kitab al-Salah, uh, okay And so it's a book where Ibn uh, Abdul Ghani al-Maqtasi, he's gathered a hadith that he regards as being Munasib uh, for each, or yani suitable and befitting for each of those chapters. Now, the those that are aware of this particular book, Umdat al Ahkam, they will also be aware of the fact that um, this is or the this book that we study is not. The only Umdut al-Ahkam. 
So you have two that are offered. You have Umdat al-Ahkam al-Kubra and Umdat al-Ahkam al-Sughra. So you have Umdat al-Ahkam, yani the, the, the larger, larger version. And Umdat al-Ahkam al-Sughra. The one which, or the copy in which people study the most and is more, yani has a, oh, is more, more well known, let's say. Is Umdat al-Ahkam al-Sughra. Umdat al-Ahkam al-Sughra, this is the book that we intend to go through, inshallah. This book, and specifically, Abdul Ghani al-Maqdisi has, has mentioned only the ahadith in Ahkam that are mutafiqan alayh. So Umdat al-Ahkam al-Kubra, yani the, 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 the larger one, he mentions ahadith generally in relation to this, these rulings. In Sughra, he restricts it to the ahadith that are mutafaqan alayhi. Yani the ahadith that are narrated in both al-Bukhari and Muslim. So narrated in both Sahih Bukhari and Sahih Muslim. And so this is the, the main difference between the two. And as we mentioned, the difference between umdat al-Ahkam and umdat al-Fiqh. Alhamdulillah. The author begins with Kitab al-Tahara. And the book of purification, and this is what the chapter that we wish to go through, inshallah, in these sittings. And a tahara, purification, linguistically, a tahara ma'nahu and nadafa. Tahara, its meaning is nadafa, yani cleanliness, cleaning. Wistilahan. It's meaning in terms of the terminology that pertains to this particular science, either science of fiqh, is mentioned here by Sheikh Ufaymin. Irtifa' al hadith wa zawal al najis wa tutlak ala nafs atatahu wa hiya bihadayni ma'nayayn hissiya. And so. In relation to the istilah, then it's removal of the impurity. So tahara is the removal of impurity, or removal of any form of filth. And this is in relation to that, or to the, the particular thing that has been purified. And when you have the definition, like these two definitions, the linguistic definition and the Yani the, the definition in relation to the legislation, both of them are regarded as being a definition which is hisiyan. Yani a definition which is a definition, uh, a literal definition. So you have a definition in ma'na, uh, the definition by way of meaning, and a tahara in relation to the meaning, then this is the person purifying one's aqidah. So a tahara, when it comes to the meaning, is the purification of aqidah. An example of that, the statement of Allah Taala: "In the mushrikun najis." Indeed, the mushrikun, indeed those, the associate partners of Allah, the polytheists, are regarded as being najis, yani impure. That impurity is not a literal impurity, but a pure impurity in relation to their atikad. 
in purity in relation, in relation to their creed, what they believe. And Allah Ta'ala knows best. Now, thereafter, we understand that this particular book here begins with the chapter of a tahara begins the purification, the author, Rahimahullah, due to the fact that the affair of purification is a condition from the conditions of Salah. It's a condition from the conditions of Salah. And the Salah is from the greatest form of Ibadah after the Shahadatayn. And the affair of Tahara, yani the affair of purification is one that carries great, or carries a great amount of Masail within it. And the purification has many issues pertaining to it. And so due to that, you find that within this the author, within this the author, or the authors of the of books, generally when they when they are offering books in Ahkam, they begin with Kitab of Tahara. Because you can't begin with Salah, but however, you need to understand how to approach the Salah. And from the things that are needed, no doubt, are is that the person has purified themselves. There is an exception, or a well-known exception. And I think we mentioned it previously. But we'll see, remember. A well-known exception. Where the book does not begin with Kitabu Tahara. No. The Muwatta of Malik, which begins with the Kitab of the times of the Salah. Na'am. Zakhul Makhir. Then it goes to purification and then will remain with it. Na'am, na'am, na'am. Zakhul Makhir. So, the exception is the Muwatta of Imam Malik. Muwatta of Imam Malik begins with the Muwakita Salah. So, it begins with the timing of the Salah. Thereafter, he mentions the other. Yani, uh, chapters. However, generally speaking, you find that the chapters that, I be- do, that they begin with is the Kitab Tahara. Now, and thereafter, we'll have our first narration of this chapter. Hadith al Awwal, the first hadith. Which is on the hadith of Al Umar bin Khattab. Rodi Law Anhu called Semit Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam ayukul. In the Ma'amala bin Yat, we in the Malikuli im im manawa, for man cannot hijratu ilallahi or Rasuli, for hijratu ilallahi or Rasuli. Woman cannot hijratu lid dunya, you see Boha. أو امرأة ينكحها أو يتزوجها فهجرته إلى ما هاجر إليه. So this hadith, this hadith of Umar bin Khattab, he mentions that I heard the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam say, "Indeed, actions are by their intentions, and anyone shall gain by way of that which they intend. So whoever's hijra." It's for Allah and His Messenger. His Hijra is for Allah and His Messenger. And whoever His, whoever his Hijra is for, the dunya, to attain something from it, 
or for a woman in order to marry her, then his hijra is for whatever he in, he made the hijra for. This hadith, we'll go into more detail with it, inshallah ta'ala. But this hadith in of itself is a qa'idah min qawaid al-Islam. In of itself is a principle from the principles of Islam, yani in principles of deen. And when it comes to explanations of hadith, there's a particular manhaj that the muhaddithin and the imma yani, use when they explain yani, narrations. And there's a particular order. The first thing that they do is that they will mention the hadith itself. They'll mention the hadith either with its isnad or without, depending. But they'll mention the hadith. Thereafter, they will mention the takhrij of the hadith. The takhrij of the hadith, referring to what, does anyone know? Takhrij of the hadith. When we say the hadith, takhrij, na'am. The sources of the hadith, essentially, now. I, where can this hadith be found? What are the sources of this hadith? I, which books can this hadith be found in? Now, and then we're talking about the takhrij as well. I, we say, where can this hadith be found? What, what is uh, important that we, when we're sourcing it, what is important about the book itself? I don't know. Or the nature of the hadith now. Now, now. So whenever you mention a takhrij, it has to be a, you're referring to a book that has a chain of narration in of itself. So for example, you say this hadith is found in Bukhari, then it has to be a narration, or this narration now, of course Bukhari has the chain of narration within it. You cannot now say, for example, takhrij al-hadith, and this hadith is found in, for example, uh, the 40 hadith of Nawawi. Naam, because of course, no, he doesn't mention the chain of narration in the 40 hadith. He mentioned the Sahabi in the narration itself. So you wouldn't say now that this hadith is found in the 40 hadith of Nawawi. Does it make sense? You mentioned, you, you always source it back to a book that has the full chain of narration. Likewise with Takhrij as well, you may, not at all times, but you may also mention some of the ahkam of the hadith. I mean, have a siha or da'af. And you mentioned the rulings of the hadith. Whether the hadith is يعني, a strong hadith or a weak one. And some of the reasons for it being so. And this will always this will be mentioned, not always, but this will be mentioned in the takhrij of the hadith. Wallahu a'lam. Thereafter, after you yeah, mentioned the takhrij of the hadith, we have the mentioning of what is referred to as the rawat, the tarajim, yani the biographies of the narrators. Now, in the case of this book, Al-Libayna Aydina, the book which you have here, Abdul Ghani al-Maqdisi, he only mentions yani, the sahabi, then the, then the hadith. 
So when it comes to the, the biographies, then it's the biography of the Sahabi only. However, if you're explaining a hadith where it mentions the whole chain, then you would mention something, generally speaking, about each of the narrators in that chain. When we say a biography as well, then we do not mean that the biography is going to be one which is extensive. Now, sometimes it can be made up of a few words, sometimes one or two words. Sometimes it can just be mentioning yani, the person's name in full. For example, you find the chain that mentions a Zuhri. Naam, mentions a Zuhri, and then after that it mentions in his, uh, in his uh, tarjuma, his biography, he mentions Muhammad ibn Shihab, Thiqa, مثلاً. So he mentions his name yani, in full. Makes sense. Or it might mention a hukum upon him. For for so for example, so and so's thicker. Or so and so's suduk. Yeah, they narrate that which is primarily Hassan Hadith. So this is what we find in the next explanation or next part of the explanation. Thereafter, we have uh the explanation of the wordings found in the hadith. Explanation of the wordings found in the hadith. And this is referred to as Gharib al Hadith. For indeed, there may be some words that you find in the text that are specific to that narration, or specific to how it has been, specific how to, to how it's been uh, explained. Also, as well, what you may find if you mention the chain within the explanation, as well, they mention something that is referred to as Lata'if al Isnad. Lata'if al-Isnad. Lata'if al-Isnad are distinct characteristics that the Isnad has. For example, the Isnad might be might mention different individuals and they are all from one place. So it may mention this hadith is Musalsal bi Basriin. This hadith is a, has a chain of individuals all from Basra. Or this hadith has a chain Everyone is from Sham. Naam. Likewise, along with that, they may mention that it's Musalsal bi Thiqat. Yani, everyone in the chain is Thiqat. Or another example is that within the chain, you have the narration of a father narrating on his son, or vice versa. The son narrating from his father. Or another example would be a Sahabi narrating from another Sahabi, which you find occurs. And so, due to that, uh, it's mentioned as a specific يعني, benefit or characteristic of that chain of narration. After that, after you mention the wordings, then you have the ma'na ijmali, and the general meaning of the hadith. What do we generally understand from the hadith? And then finally, what they mention are the يعني, the fawaid, the benefits of the narration. What are the fawaid found in the narration? Allah Ta'ala knows best. So with that being said, here you have Shaykh Faymeen, he mentions that, or he mentions the first part of his of his 
uh, explanation is the Tarjima of Umar ibn Khattab. The biography of Umar ibn Khattab. Why does he not mention the Takhrij here? Why does he not mention the Takhrij? Because all the hadith, as we mentioned earlier, all the hadith are found in Bukhari Muslim. So there's no need to mention where the hadith, where the hadith are found because the whole book is based upon where they're found. Now, I mean, it was, uh, it's Bukhari Muslim. So, Sheikh of mentions that the rawi of the hadith, the rate of the hadith, is Umar ibn Khattab, Amir al-Mu'mineen, Amir al-Mu'mineen, and he was the Thani Khulafa al-Rashidin. Naam, the Thani Khulafa al-Muslimin. He was the second from amongst the Khulafa al-Rashidin. And he was from amongst the Ashraf of Quraysh, the most honorable members of the tribe of Quraysh. And he embraced Islam in the year 5 or 6 after the Bi'atha. After يعني, the prophecy of the Nabi So as is understood, no doubt, Umar al-Khattab embraced Islam before يعني, the Hijrah. And so when you find things are dated يعني, Islamically, then they'll be dated in relation to the Hijrah or the Bi'atha. So the Bi'atha is the beginning of the, the, the prophecy of the Prophet when he first revealed, uh, received revelation. And the Hijrah, referring to the Hijrah of the, of the Messenger of Allah and the companions from Makkah to Medina. So in the case of Umar al-Khattab, he embraced Islam in the fifth or sixth year after the Bi'atha, after the Nabi received revelation. And within him, embracing Islam was a degree of izza the Muslimin. It was a means of yani izza, yani degree of honor and raising the status of the Muslims. And he was the Khalifa after Abu Bakr al-Siddiq. He became the Khalifa after Abu Bakr al-Siddiq. And he achieved much good by way of that. And thus he was assassinated by the Majusi whilst he was making the takbir for Salat al Fajr. And thus he was carried to his home, Rajalu Anhu. And passed away yeah, after three nights. And this was in the year 23 after the Hijrah. And thus he, Radio Anu, was buried alongside the Nabi Sallallahu and Abu Bakr al-Siddiq in the home of Aisha Radio Anha. And his Khilafah 
uh, the period of time of his Khilafah lasted for 10 years, 10 and a half years, 10 years, 6 months, and some days. And so this is a short, as I mentioned, a short tarjima of Umar ibn Khattab anhu. Thereafter we have the Gharib al-Hadith, the meaning of some of the Hadith. I will take, or some of the words found in the Hadith, rather. I will take from some of these words here. The first of them is the word al-A'mal, yani the A'mal, the actions, the general amal. And this is the, these are the actions that insan perform. And these are the actions that insan perform by way of their speech or actions, yani, up of the limbs. Or an action can also be in reference to tarq al-maqsood. So the, the action can also be in relation to the fact that they leave off something. They leave off something that maybe they intended to do previously. All of that is in regard as being an action. Or an individual, for example... Sheikh Fabi gives the example of reading Quran. Recitation of Quran this is an action. Likewise, performing wudu is an action. Likewise, leaving, I making the deliberate action to leave off stealing something. This is an action. So the action, or yani, if you could say inaction, can also be regarded as being an action in and of itself. Thereafter. We have the word niyat, the, the, the plural of the niyat, intention. This is what a person yani, has the desire to do or wants to do, intends to do. And when it mentions yani, they go along with the niyat. One goes with the other. And so, it's a must an amal, an action, is accompanied by a niyyah. It's a must an action is accompanied by its intention. And Allah Ta'ala knows best. The word imra'in is referred to insan, yani mankind. I saw the actions by the intention, this is something which is specific to all of mankind. Like all of mankind are bound by their intentions. And there, after he mentions Manoah, and what he intends. And so, it's not for a person to do any action except for that which they intend. And so, if a person intends by way of an action, ibadah, then it comes by way of that, it's now regarded as being ibadah. And if a person intends other than that, then it will be other than that. <laughs> Thereafter, we have the word hijra. Now, hijra, which is the word hijra, then linguistically, hijra means yani tarq, to leave something off. And in terms of the shar, in terms of yani sharia, is to leave a person, to leave your land, or to leave where you where you live, your, your, your abode, for the sake of your Islam. 
for the sake of your Islam. Sheikh and Sheikh Abdullah Bukhari, Hafidullah, he mentions that hijrah is of different types as well. You may have hijrah, which is the ma'roof form of hijrah, Allah alam, where the person makes hijrah, leaving the balad of kufr, and going to the balad of the Muslimin. Yani leaves the land of disbelief in order to go to the land of the believers, the Muslims. I know that this is hijrah. Likewise, what we may find is that the person makes hijrah from the land where bid'ah is widespread. And he travels to a land where the sunnah is established yeah, more so. So he leaves a land where bid'ah is widespread and he travels to a land where the sunnah has been established. And the final, or the third, is that the person leaves a land where ma'asiyah is widespread. So disobedience is widespread amongst the people. And he leaves that land in order to go to a land where actions of obedience are more widespread. These are different forms of hijrah. Thereafter, You have the words Ilallah. And the word in Ilallah, yani, for the sake of Allah. For the sake of his deen. In order to attain his pleasure, and yani the pleasure of Allah. In order to attain Jannah. <laughs> Thereafter, wa Rasuli. Yani what is intended here is the one during the life of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that the person travels to him. They make hijrah and they migrate to him and with that وسلم, specifically. After his death then this is in reference to the individual travelling Leaving his land to go to those that are from the atbah of his sunnah. And traveling to the lands of those that follow the sunnah of the Messenger of Allah. Thereafter, it mentions Yani, so dunya yasibuha. And the person performs the hijrah in relation to the dunya. Which means no, no doubt that the person wants something specifically from the dunya, whether that be mal. So they're seeking from the dunya wealth. Or they're seeking from the dunya, yani position, riasa. And so they travel for that for that reason. <coughs> No doubt, this is what we find many on many occasions. The person may travel and they leave their land and they leave their land as what is referred to as economic migrants. They leave their land with the pur- for the purpose of wealth, increasing their wealth. 
If that is the purpose behind their journey, then this is what the reason. This is the reason for their journey, and a person cannot expect any reward if their reason for their journey is one of dunya. Thereafter, he mentions the added two, or person makes the, the journey of the intent of a woman to marry her. And Nabi Sallallahu specified the woman for indeed she is from the means or from the things that a person takes from the dunya enjoy and enjoys from the dunya. And that this is from the greatest of things that an individual desires from the dunya. And finally we have the wording for Hijratuhu for hijratuhu ila ma hajra ilayhi. His hijra is for whatever he intended or whatever he made the hijra for. So if he makes the hijra for the intention of a woman or for the intention of a fair of dunya, then his hijra is for that reason. Here Samah al may mention as well. When referring to the hijra, when, he's, when he begins the narration, or within the beginning of the narration, the Prophet mentions, If the person's intention of the hijrah is for Allah and his messenger, He repeats it. Naam, it's an indication of the sharf, of the niyyah, and the nobility found within that, within, that, within that intention, and that reason why he's made hijrah. Why he's made hijrah. However, where are, when, when the, the next part where he mentions وسلم, that the person's hijra for the dunya or the hijra is for the dunya or for a woman in order to marry her or he says thereafter he does not repeat it but he mentions for hijra to who his hijra is for whatever he made the hijra for as a means and is understood by way of belittling the reason why he had made hijrah. If the reason for his hijrah is something in relation to dunya and not something which is noble in relation to a hijrah for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah ta'ala knows best. This particular narration here, barakalafikum. is a narration that is comprehensive of many different principles. However, the main principle is the importance of intention. That an action cannot be accepted by except that the person has a sound intention. So a person's ibadah cannot be accepted unless their intention is for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. A person's action of ibadah must have that incorrect intention that they are worshipping. Lillah. And not for other than Allah. And so this is a clear indication of the manzila, the status of niyyah. The status of a person's intention before they do an action. Or whilst they do an action. And this is something which is 
comprehensive of every single action. And a person's intention, whether the person's action will be accepted or rejected, or whether the person's action will be corrupt, is based upon and hinges upon their intention as well. And so everyone will gain that which they intended. And so due to that, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu mentions this important affair that all of the actions, the person's actions are by their intentions. Within this narration as well, the Prophet sallallahu gave the example of hijrah. And the examples are given generally by the Nabi alayhi salatu wasalam with the intention of what is referred to as a taqrib with the intention of the individual having a clearer understanding of that particular mas'ala, what he's presenting. So in this case here, in the case of this narration, he's still presenting the affair of the niyyah, the intention, and the importance of the intention. And so, within this, he mentions uh, the importance of the intention along with the example of hijra. But no doubt, hijra within it is a degree of ta'ab, any hardship. With jihad, the person striving in that regard. And so, it's important that the person understands and he gives and the example is given that the person may exert themselves, if, if their intent is the dunya, then they go through all that time, all that hardship, all that fatigue and, weary, and weariness for the sake of dunya. So then he doesn't, he doesn't not see anything from it except for dunya. However, if the person does so for the sake of Allah, and they go through that, they exert themselves for the sake of Allah, then within that, is a great reward due to the fact that it's an action of ibadah. And so this is why he gives us a particular example. Likewise, we want to mention here as well, in relation to this narration, is that the niyyah, the intention, the mahal niyyah, the place of a person's intention is the heart. That the person makes the intention from the heart. Khilafan, in opposition to what you find the actions of some individuals, where they will make the intention upon the tongue. And you may find that some people, for example, before they establish the salah, they will say that I'm making my intention and they'll mention the intention that they're making. Along with the intention that they're making, they'll mention the amount of raka'at they're going to pray. Naam, the salah they're going to pray, they'll name the salah. This, all, all of this is regarded as being an innovative practice. Practice, It's a bid'ah. And rather, the intention is made within the heart. The intention is made within the heart. This then poses a question in relation to the, um, the hajj and umrah. When a person from the beginning of the Hajj and Umrah, once they put on the Ihram, they mention the words, La Baykala Umratan or La Baykala Hajj. 
And it states that they're going to start to perform the Umrah, they're going to start to perform the Hajj. Is this a person stating the knee upon the tongue? Yes? Stating the knee upon the tongue. Agree? You have a couple of yeses and a few noes. You say it. There's a sunnah that mentions why we do it. No. Who, what's, what's the, what's the, elaborate those that said no. Elaborate why he said no. Please. What the brother said. Okay. But then would, would, that, would, that, would you not now say that this is merely stating the intention? No. This is the answer. The reality is now, it's not, it's not a person stating the intention. Rather, the intention was made when a person goes out to perform Hajj. Naam. And so there are actions that may be indicative of your intention. For example, you intended to pray Salat al-Dhuhr. There's no need for you to say, I'm going to pray Salat al-Dhuhr. Naam, mafalam. The fact that you came to the masjid, you made wudu, you did all of that for a reason. And that reason was your intention to pray the Salah. And the place of that intention was the heart. And it wasn't a case of your intention was outside of that. So, likewise with Hajj. With the Hajj, your intent is when you travel to Saudi Arabia in the first place. Or you travel to Mecca. You travel to Mecca for the reason of performing Hajj. Or you travel to the Miqat for the reason of putting on the, the Ihram and performing Hajj. As for the wording that is stated, similar to what the brother mentioned, there's specific narration that mentioned this saying of the Prophet of these wordings. And so this word is not regarded as you saying your intention, rather it's regarded as you fulfilling a right from the rights of Hajj. One of the particular rights of Hajj. And it's not that you that you now began the intention at that point, because your intention began before that. You can even say that your intention began when you started saving the money in order to go. So the intention was there. And Allah Ta'ala knows best. Along with that as well, when it comes to the affair of a niyyah, a niyyah, as mentioned by some Ahlul Al-Ain, Khumlin, Shaykh and Shaykh, Abdullah Bukhari, he mentions that the niyyah can differentiate between al-adat wal ibadat. The niyyah, your intention, may be the difference between something that you do as a habit, a habitual act, and something that you do as an ibadah. And going back to your intention. So, for example, eating. A person eats, if he eats for the sake of eating, labats. But he, that's an adah, he eats, he needs to eat. Naam. However, if his intention now is that I'm going to eat in order to strengthen myself, so I am... Able to perform ibadah. It able to perform the salah better. Now I'm all for example going to sleep. I'm going to go to go to sleep at this particular time so that I'm able to wake up and perform tahajjud, my fellow. Or I'm going to sleep at this particular time so I wake up and I'm in a better state of mind so that I can perform ibadah throughout the day tomorrow. That intention has dictated that now the action is not a mere action of adah. But an action of ibadah. 
So it's not an action of, of a mere habitual act, the general action that you do as a, as a person. It's now an action of ibadah. And so this is the distinction between the two. The final thing I want to mention as well is that the munasaba, why this particular hadith is mentioned at the beginning, um, or rather, let me ask you, I've done enough talking. Why is it mentioned at the beginning? Why is this mentioned at the beginning of this book? Now, Allahumma barik. Yep. Allahumma <laughs> barik. So the first thing, mention the first one again, please. The first reason again. No. So essentially, the first thing is that uh, this is an action of talab al This is an action of talab al And so. That's ibadah. And so with that, no doubt, the person has to purify their intention. Whether it be the action of the talab, all the actions that you're going to act upon these, these hadith with, the person needs to know, or needs to have a correct intention in that regard. And so due to that, a lot of the, you, have, you find a lot of the books begin with this particular narration. A lot of books of hadith begin with this particular narration. As the brother mentions, Allah khair, as an introduction to anything that will follow. Sorry. The second reason, it's, uh, uh, why it's relevant to the chapter is because this is purification of the heart. Now, and so this is relevant to the chapter of the book of purification because the person making islah, the near rectifying their intention, is a means of purification. They're purifying their intention, purifying their hearts. Now, before all else, and this is something that the person needs to purify. If they purify their heart, then it become, it will become manifest upon their tongue and the way they speak, manifest upon the limbs and how they act. And so, uh, the purification of that begins with purifying your intent. And so this is why another reason why it's mentioned at the beginning of Kitab al-Tahara, the beginning of the book of purification, and Allah Ta'ala knows best. Thereafter, we mentioned some of the, some of the for wide of this hadith, the first of them being the importance of the niya, the importance of having intention when it comes to your actions, and that the acceptance of an action or the sound nature of a particular action is based upon its intent. The second, the second benefit we can mention is that it encourages us to have ikhlas. In our niyyah, we need to be sincere to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and have a sincere intent. And that's an encouragement or a clear indication of the virtue of that sincere intent. The third benefit we can take is that it's a warning against the one that wants or intends by way of the dunya. And so they place the action of the dunya in place of the akhirah. So rather, whilst they should be striving for the akhirah, rather they are striving for the dunya. 
The next benefit is that people differ and are of varying levels when it comes to the affair of the niya. Not everyone's going to have the same niya, the same intent. Some will have a good intention, some will have bad intention. And so the Messenger of Allah informed us of those of good intention or informed us of those of bad intention. No doubt it's an encouragement for us to strive to be from those that have good intent. And a warning for us against being from those that have bad intent. The next benefit as well is that purifying oneself in the actions cannot occur except with intention. And so the purification cannot occur, cannot occur except with correct and upright intention. And the next, the final benefit we have is that this hadith is a clear indication of the manner and the correct manner in which the Prophet wasallam taught his companions. In that he taught them he taught them in a way where it was conveyed in the best way possible and he mentioned to them foundations and principles. And so this hadith is regarded as being from the Jawamah and Kalim in Nabi alayhi salatu wasalam. And this hadith is regarded as being from the comprehensive speech of the Prophet sallallahu in the fact that he's mentioned some of the or mention this particular principle that pertains to many affairs in our deen within this short sent these short sentences. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. And we'll conclude here. Insha'Allah ta'ala barakallahu feekum. Wa jazakumullahu khaira. Wa sallallahu wa barak. Ala nabiyyina Muhammad. Wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam.